0: on to my mommy's
1: podcast. This episode is brought to you by Branch Basics. They're one of my favorite companies because they are tackling two major problems with one simple solution. We've all heard about the problems with single use plastic and how they are polluting the environment, how overuse of plastics is bad for us as humans. And if you've read my blog, you're also well aware of the potential pitfalls of harsh household cleaners, especially if you have kids in the house. Ranch Basics helps on both of these spreads. They have the world's safest non-toxic cleaning concentrate. It is plant-based, biodegradable, so it's safe for the environment, it's non-GMO, and it's not tested on animals. Since it's a concentrate, a single bottle lasts a really long time, which drastically cuts down on extra plastic bottles, you would get if you bought cleaners already pre-made it's gentle enough to be used on skin even on babies but strong enough to clean floors or greasy messes even paint stains and i use it to make an all-purpose cleaner to treat stains in the laundry even as a laundry soap their bottles are all reusable or you can do what i do and mix everything in reusable glass bottles instead and when i say this is good for everything i mean it I carry a travel size foamer pump when I travel, and I use it as a hand soap instead of using nasty soaps in bathrooms. I use it as a face wash, shampoo, eye makeup remover, stain treatment, so much more, and this one little bottle just fits in my travel carry-on. I use the same concentrate at home to make practically every cleaning product that we use in our home. You may have even seen on my Instagram recently how I used their cleaning concentrate and oxygen boost together to wash my white couches naturally. And I use Branch Basics in some form pretty much every single day. You can check it out and grab some of your own by going to branchbasics.com forward slash wellness mama. Make sure to use the code mama15 to save 15%. So again, that's Branch Basics dot com forward slash wellness mama so b r a n c h b a s i c s dot com forward slash wellness mama and fifteen percent off with the code mama fifteen this episode is brought to you by Alatura Naturals skincare you guys loved the founder Andy when he came on this podcast to talk about his own healing journey after a tragic accident caused massive scarring on his face. From this experience, he developed some some of the most potent and effective natural skincare options from serums and masks and a lot of products in between. The results are super visible on his perfectly clear skin that is free of scars. I personally love the mask and I use it a couple times a week and I often use their gold serum at night to nourish my skin while I sleep. All of their products have super clean ingredients and they really work. Andy is absolutely dedicated to creating the highest quality products possible. And it shows you can check them out at Alatora naturals.com forward slash wellness mama, and use the discount code wellness to get 20% off. So again, that's Alatura naturals. So A L I T U R A N A T U R A L S.com forward slash wellness mama, and the discount code wellness to save 20%. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this episode is going to be all about how so much of what we know about probiotics is wrong and what the current research is saying. Because I am here with Kieran Krishnan, who is a research microbiologist, and he's been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for 17 years. He comes from a strict research background and he's also established a clinical research organization where he has designed and conducted dozens of human clinical trials in human nutrition he's the acting chief scientific officer at physicians exclusive and microbiome labs and he's a frequent lecturer on the human microbiome at medical and nutrition conferences. He's currently involved in nine novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome and is undisputably one of the world experts on this topic. So Kieran, welcome and thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Appreciate any opportunity to get to talk about this stuff.
1: I love it. It's one of my passions. I love researching this, and I feel like there's so much new research coming out every day about this, and you are leading a lot of this research. And I want to, I have so many things to talk to you about, but I want to make sure we define a couple of key terms that we'll be using a lot in our conversation today. And the first is leaky gut. I know a lot of people listening have a, a pretty good understanding of maybe what that is but you've been involved in actual research on this so can you define when we say leaky gut what what you mean
0: yeah one of the things i love about leaky gut is that the terminology is very descriptive right it, and it and it actually is what it sounds like your intestinal lining which is really the the defense layer between your blood circulation which is considered inside of the body and the outside of the body which is all the food and um, liquids and bacteria and viruses and toxins and all that that end up passing through your system so they pass through your system for the most part through your digestive tract right because we're consuming foods and we're drinking things and we're putting things in our mouth all the time and inadvertently swallowing things like fecal matter and toxins and and uh, fungus and molds and so on all of that stuff has to pass through our system, and as it's passing through the system, it's it's sequestered into the part of the intestines called the lumen. So the lumen is basically the hole in the intestines. That's the, the tube, if you will. The lining of the tube is lined with a mucus layer, and then below the mucus layer is a single cell line thick border. That single cell line thick border is the ultimate and the final separation between the outside world, which is that tube, and the inside world, which is the, the blood circulation. If things are allowed to non-specifically migrate past that mucous layer, past the cell line into our blood system, it causes significant disease. And a leaky gut is a gut that has lost the regulatory mechanisms that govern and control what is allowed to pass through those layers. Because of course, we want nutrients to pass through, right? So we we eat food, we want to be able to absorb the calories, we want to be able to absorb the vitamins and minerals and the the phenols and so on, all of the good stuff that's in food. We want those things to be able to move through, but we don't want bacteria, viruses, environmental toxins, and so on to move through. A leaky gut is one that just kind of non-specifically allows things to move through because we've lost our defensive mechanisms.
1: Got it. And how widespread of a problem do you think this is currently in society? What would the progression look like? Uh, What might someone notice in their body if they had leaky gut?
0: Yeah, so that's the difficult part about it, um, is that for the most part, leaky gut will be um, subclinical, we call it, or asymptomatic. Um, It's occurring on a regular basis, and what it's doing is kind of laying down the framework and the pathology or the pathway to chronic illness. So if you have allergies or if you have any sort of sleep disorder, mood disorders, if if you have a little bit of extra weight, um, if you've struggled with weight issues all your life, if you have anxiety, depression, any sort of immune dysfunction, all of those things are related to the gut being leaky. So you can very well presume that your gut is leaky to a certain degree in our in our most recent study that we publish uh, we published it in August of last year um, what we saw is we took a hundred healthy young college students. So when we say healthy young, we mean that they have no diagnosed diseases. They're of normal body weight. Um, they have no, uh, they're, they're not taking medication for any chronic issues. So not even things like allergies and so on. So they are what we would consider to be healthy normals. And, you know, being 22, 23 years old, you're essentially in the prime of your life. Out of that population, 55% of them had severe leaky gut. And severe, when I say severe, means after they eat a meal, the inflammation and the toxicity that occurs in the body is measurable and exists for up to two weeks from a single meal, right? So it's, it's a really toxic process, Having to, your body having to go through this every time you eat food. And the biggest driver of when the leakiness in the gut occurs is during the process of digestion, eating food. Now, if you have almost any kind of chronic health condition, most of those are, be, are able to be tied back to, to leaky gut, either playing a role in it, or even being the main cause of the condition. So you won't necessarily feel anything, but it, it's the, it's the um, spark that sets off chronic illness.
1: Wow, that is staggering that 55% of seemingly otherwise healthy college students, because what does that say for probably every other segment of the population? What do you think are some of the key drivers of why we're seeing such high rates of this?
0: So the biggest thing, and and this can be tied back epidemiologically to like a bunch of other conditions, right? So um, the biggest thing is a disruption of our microbiome. So the, you know, and I mentioned earlier that there are protective mechanisms in place to prevent this leakiness from happening. For in large part, those protective mechanisms are controlled by the bacteria that live in your gut. Um, you know, so people may not know this, but the, but the gut is essentially covered with every square millimeter with bacteria. There's over 100 trillion bacteria in the digestive tract alone. Um, and, and that's a, like an insane number to even try to fathom and wrap our head around. But compare that to about 10 trillion cells that make up the entire human body. Right, So there's 10 times more bacteria cell in our gut than human cells that make up our entire body. So that's how dense the, the bacterial population is in our gut that lines every square millimeter from your mouth all the way down to your bottom. And as it turns out, it's the job of a healthy population of bacteria in the gut to protect us from that leakiness. There's several mechanisms that they, that they involve to rebuild that mucus layer, to keep the, um, the cells, the single cell layer, which is your intestinal lining, from opening up and allowing things to leak through uh, from neutralizing things right in the lumen, which is in the in the tube part of the intestines, they play the biggest role in protecting us from this leakiness in the gut, and we have done almost everything we can to destroy our gut bacteria, right, starting with the use of antibiotics and and of course. You know, there are many conditions where antibiotics are necessary and can save lives, but we also use, about 50% of the time, we use antibiotics unnecessarily. And we know from studies that antibiotics can disrupt the gut microbiome for up to two years. Um, so there's, there's significant changes that they make. Of course, we've been consuming foods that have lots of, of pesticides in it, uh, and those pesticides have been shown to have a significant impact on the gut. We've been consuming foods that have a lot of artificial colorings and flavorings in them and, and chemical uh, entities that we know impact the bacteria and the gut. Uh, we, we also use foods with preservatives in it. Um, we utilize um, you know, personal care products that have chemicals that have been never tested on the human body or in the human body, and we inevitably absorb and consume those chemicals. And as it turns out, many of them have a negative effect on the microbes that live in and on us. Um, and then, and then, lastly, you know, we live in this kind of sterile environment. We are we we've created this idea that we need to kill ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria, right? I mean, if you look at the Clorox company and all these companies that advertise these cleaning products, the big stamp on there kills ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria. That when in most cases that could be the worst thing you do, because one of our um, essential design elements is our relationship with bacteria and if we're killing bacteria all around us we are disrupting that relationship and ultimately we suffer from that.
1: Absolutely. I've written about that before. I think I have a post called Why Kids and Adults Need Dirt and how we've removed this interaction with bacteria from our world and like how much of an impact that's having that we don't even fully, I don't think, realize yet. Um, Another term we're obviously going to talk a lot about today is the word probiotics. And this one's tougher to define because I'm guessing there's a lot of different types that get kind of lumped in together. So my background's in nutrition and the idea of trying to say like what is probiotics to me sounds like trying to say what is food. There's so many different types within that category um, but I also feel like there's so much misinformation and even just confusion amongst the research with this term. So can you take us from a general overview of what probiotics are on a basic level uh, and then maybe narrow down a little bit of what some of the different types are?
0: yeah and that's really important because and and to start that off we'll give a little bit of a history of probiotics where they even came from um so the vast majority of probiotics that we use you know since its discovery in in the early 1900s um the the person that's credited for the discovery and the utilization of probiotics is a russian scientist named ily mechnikov and what he was doing was using fermented milk to treat certain conditions And he would ferment the milk with a bacteria that he didn't really define very well. They didn't have the technology at the time to kind of identify and define bacteria. So he called it a Bulgarian Bicillus. And he would make these fermented dairy products and he would treat conditions with it. Um, And he put forth this idea that a lot of disease came about because of auto-intoxication. That means uh, bad fermentation and putrefaction in the gut by bad bacteria. And so he had the idea to utilize milk as a substrate to to send in good bacteria. And so that's where the first idea of probiotics came from, is to use beneficial bacteria to combat the negative effects of bad bacteria. And he actually ended up winning the Nobel Prize for his work because that was a novel concept back then. Um, But he wasn't using the term probiotic at at that time. The term probiotic actually came... Um, was derived in the 1960s by two scientists named Lillian Stillwell, and they were the first ones to coin the term probiotic, which means for life. And the idea was that there are bacteria present in our system and and possibly available to us through fermented foods that are actually life-giving or life-supporting, as opposed to antibiotic, which is, you know, anti-life. So, that's, that's as simple as the term is. It, it means for life, and these are microbes that promote health and promote life. And again, even up to the early 1980s, for the most part, probiotics were uh, dairy fermenting bacteria. You know, if you look at the, the vast majority of probiotic strains used in the market today, um, there are Lactobacillus acidophilus, Lactobacillus uh, rhamnosus, and so on. Many of these species were actually isolated and used because they're really good at fermenting dairy to create kefir and to create yogurt and so on. Um, and the assumption was that when we drank these fermented be- beverages that these bacteria were going in and living in the gut and that the benefit that we were seeing from the fermented yogurts and kefirs and so on w- came from the bacteria going and living the gut. But that as it turns out is completely wrong you know, in all of the bacteria that exist in fermented products die in the system, in the gastric system, the moment you swallow them, right? So the stomach acid is a really harsh environment. In fact, it's the first component of your immune system, and it's referred to as the gastric barrier for that reason, because one of its jobs is to kill bacteria that are entering into the system. And so when you drink a fermented product, the benefits that you get from the fermented product comes from the ferment itself. So it's all of the organic acids and and peptides and all that were created during the fermentation process. Those things are going in and causing benefits in the gut. The bacteria that did the fermentation ends up dying. So that's where the concept of probiotics came from was fermented foods. And the idea was that, okay, if the fermented food has health benefits, it must be because of the bacteria that are being used to ferment. So why don't we isolate those bacteria, concentrate them, put them in a capsule or pill, and then take them the same way. The problem with that is, we were assuming that when you take those types of bacteria, when you consume them, that they will get in and they will recolonize the gut. Uh, Recolonize means being able to kind of um, hang in there and live there and, and, and live among the rest of the bacteria in your gut and and then if you take enough of them they'll shift the balance between good and bad bacteria and and that's been the idea all the way up to about 2006 2007 when we finally started to understand what our gut is structured like and what's even living there you know so imagine most probiotics that you have on the market were developed well before we knew anything about the gut we we really didn't learn anything about the gut until about two thousand nine and two thousand ten, when studies from the Human Microbiome Project started coming out. We didn't know what was living in there. We didn't know what what amounts, what proportions. You know what was the difference between the bacteria in the small intestine versus the large intestine. We knew nothing, and yet we were throwing in a whole bunch of bacteria with the assumption that they would be they would be going in, living in the gut and creating this, this uh, wonderful uh, harmonious balance. And that's where most of the probiotic products in the market get their strategies for formulation. That's why we started seeing companies going from 10 billion CFUs a day to 50 billion CFUs a day to 200 billion to 800 billion and so on. The numbers just kept going up because what we were thinking or what the industry was thinking was, um, you know, if a little bit is good, then more has got to be better. You know, so And then they were competing with each other from a marketing standpoint as to who would end up having the highest amounts or the cheapest price, and that's how you get the consumers. So the, that was the old thinking behind probiotics, and a lot of people are still perpetuating that thinking that we're reseeding the gut with this high load of bacteria. When, as it turns out, and we've tested 40 of the top probiotic products on the market, as it turns out, all of them, virtually all of them die in the stomach. So it doesn't matter if you're taking 200 billion bacteria or 50 billion bacteria, all of those are going to die in the stomach because those bacteria, the lactobacillus and bifidobacteria, are just not designed to survive through the gastric system. You know, And so then some smart person will come around and say, well, we coat it and we wrap it in seaweed or we do all kinds of crazy things to it. Um, and we say, well, we test it, it. It might survive through the stomach acid but it won't survive through bile salts at that point. So there's all of these major gauntlets of the bacteria have to go through. So that's kind of the, the overall history of, of probiotics and why you see products the way they are, where companies are just throwing more strains, more cells in the product, because the whole idea is more is better, more is better. As it turns out, um, probiotics, their the real functionality is based on the type of strain that you're using. And most probiotic studies are done with a single strain at four or five billion CFUs. There is no scientific validation for a 15, 17 strain product at 400, 300 billion CFUs. There's no studies that show that 100 billion is better than 50 billion, or that 200 billion is better than 100 billion. There's no dose dependency that way in in that more is better, right? So, So a lot of it is just kind of common misconceptions um, the idea that there are health-promoting bacteria is still very strong, and there definitely are. There's a lot of research to support certain strains providing certain b- benefits within the body, but it's very strain-specific. You I'll know, uh, give you one example, Lactobacillus rhamnosus. Lactobacillus rhamnosus is a generic strain it more than likely does nothing in the body It more than likely just dies going through the stomach and you basically poop it out 12 hours later. But Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, which is a variant of that species, has been shown in clinical trials to be able to reduce the, um, the incidence rate of diarrhea in kids uh, or upregulate some of the immune components that help fight off viral infections. But the regular GG, yeah, the regular rhamnosus doesn't do that. Uh, you know, Bifidobacterium infantis, three, five, six, two, four. That's a very specific strain. It's a variation of the species of bifidobacterium infantis. That one has studies to show that it has some benefits in the body. If you take generic bifidobacterium infantis, it likely doesn't do anything. And that's where people end up getting confused um, and that's where people end up getting, um, you know, wasting their money really because probiotic effects are very strain specific and most strains perform very specific functions like rhamnosus gg doesn't does not do the same things in the body that infantis 35624 does and so those, there's significant differences between what the functionality of the probiotic would be it's, sorry that's a really long answer to your question but you know i think that history is important where we came from with the idea of probiotics that it, it really came from fermented foods and the whole Concept was, you know, fermented foods have known benefits to them, and the assumption was that the that the benefit of the fermented food was it's a delivery vehicle for the bacteria. When it turns out it's not, the benefit from the fermented food is the ferment itself. Uh, studies have been done where they take fermented yogurt that has known benefits, and then they heat kill the bacteria in the yogurt, so it's essentially a sterile yogurt, and then they deliver it, and you get the same benefits as the live culture yogurt. And the reason is because the bacteria entering the body and performing a function in the body is immaterial. The, the benefit from fermented foods comes from the ferment. And, and outside of that, there are specific strains of bacteria that have been identified to do specific functions in the body. There's almost no rationale for what I call these kitchen sink formulas where companies just throw 10, 15, 20 different strains in it and some random dosing of 30 billion or 50 billion or 100 billion there's no scientific rationale for that most of it's dying in the in the gut and and it's not really providing a benefit and when we were looking at probiotics we were looking for you know what are the bacteria that our ancestors got exposed to on a regular basis that have a natural ability to survive through the gastric system and that's where the spores came from
1: Wow, that is so fascinating. And a couple key things that really struck me in what you just said um, about fermented foods, because obviously, these have a long history of use in many different cultures. So that's so interesting that you're not disputing that fermented foods are beneficial. It's just we basically drew the wrong conclusion in assuming what was causing the benefit and then basically sort of created an entire industry reflecting that. And based on, I know I've seen these probiotic bottles that talk about how many billions of CFUs, but really there's no way to know from that bottle how much of that is actually even impacting your body in any measurable way whatsoever. Um, and you mentioned at the very end there, you mentioned spore-based probiotics or spores. Um, can you explain what makes that different than the other strains you just talked about, the lactobacillus or the bifida?
0: Yeah. And that and really speaks to our rationale when we started studying probiotics. And you know, one other thing as a side note, I want to mention about those, uh, what I call the kitchen sink formulas. One of the big issues that we're, I'm seeing with it, even as a researcher and in studying probiotics, you know, as early as eight to 10 years ago is that many of the strains that these companies are using in the products are completely undefined. Uh, University of California, Davis, published a study in the Journal of Nature. Journal of Nature is the top scientific journal. So if you can get a study published in there, it means it's a very well done study. Um, They basically took 16 different probiotic products from California health food stores. They bought some online and so on. And what they did was they did full genetic analysis on the strains that were in the capsule. And they wanted to see how many of the products had the right strains in the capsule compared to what was claimed on the label to be in the product. And out of 16, unbelievably only one matched what was claimed on the label. So 15 out of 16 products that they tested had completely different bacteria in the capsule than what was claimed on the label. And the scary thing about this is these were all children's probiotics that they were testing. Right. So imagine moms are spending their money buying these products thinking that they're going to help their kids allergies or colds or flus or digestive disorders and all that. And they're buying these products with the, with the fancy marketing that's, that's touting so many strains and so many CFUs. So in your mind, you're being programmed to think that, oh, it's this really powerful product. As it turns out, it's got completely different undefined bacteria in the capsule that you have no idea what you're giving your child. Um, than what these companies are even claiming on the label. And so that to me, and this was published back in 2015, and we started seeing this same problem when we were researching probiotics even before that. And that to me was one of the big defining issues of where the probiotic industry was going because it was just this frenzy to, to capitalize on something that's popular and people were just throwing things together randomly without taking a scientific approach to it. And that to me is a very problematic thing because a true probiotic has significant promise, right? If you can find the right strains and the right bacteria and use them for the right conditions, it can be extremely powerful. But, But people were kind of bastardizing that whole idea and just kind of throwing things together. So when we started thinking about probiotics, we kind of kept it simple, you know. Uh, as a as a microbiologist, I always um, uh, have been a closeted uh, evolutionary biologist. I always look to see what did our ancestors do, right? How did we evolve? What were our behaviors and practices, and try to mimic some of those things. So I thought to myself, okay, probiotics are are bacteria that have um, some sort of health benefit in our system, and. If you are an outside bacteria that has a capability of coming in and providing a health benefit to the human, this type of intimate relationship doesn't occur over just a decade or two decades or even a, a thousand years. This is a long term co evolutionary benefit for our body and our immune system to allow a bacteria to come in and perform functions that ultimately help us. That's a significant co evolution. That's a significant commensal symbiotic or mutualistic relationship. So in my view, you know, w- I kept thinking about where did our ancestors get their probiotics from? Right? Because throughout the course of human evolution, our ancestors were were um, exposed to bacteria significantly and clearly we've developed this beneficial relationship with bacteria. And then I started looking at studies that that showed, you know, a significant beneficial impact on the guts and the health of people that lived in rural areas, compared to the same um, culture that lived in urban populations. So there are studies in Russia where they compared the the digestive health and the uh, longevity and the overall wellness of people that lived in rural Russia versus urban Russia. In in Japan, they did the same thing. Um, And then they started mapping out the guts and the overall health of you know, uh, hunter-gatherer tribes like the Hazard tribe in Tanzania, or tribes in Papua New Guinea. And it became really apparent that the closer you live to dirt, to the, to the ground, um, the more beneficial, uh, the more benefits, the health benefits you, you tend to obtain. And clearly there are numerous bacteria in the environment. And so we focused in on environmental bacteria that seem to be con- conveying a benefit to the host. Now, it's true also for environmental bacteria that the vast majority of them will die in the stomach. right? So if you just take a whole bunch of soil organisms and you consume them, the vast majority of them will die in the stomach. And because they're going to die in the stomach, they're not really going to perform significant probiotic benefit. So what we honed in on was what are the environmental microbes, the microbes that are abundant in the environment that also have the natural capability of surviving through our harsh digestive system and then once it survives through also has the capability to attach to the intestinal mucus or the intestinal lining and live in the gut and our rationale was simple we said if the bacteria has that really unique capacity that means it must be a bacteria that plays a significant role in the gut and that's where we discovered these spores so the spores are bacteria that are, that are gut uh, commensal organisms, meaning their natural home is the gut, right? And when they're living in the gut, they're not in the spore form. When they leave the body through defecation, they go into this really unique spore form. What that means is the bacteria is metabolically inactive, so it's not multiplying. Um, it basically goes dormant. It covers itself with a thick protein calcified layer, so it's like an armor-like coating. And that will allow it to exist in the outside environment almost indefinitely because most of our commensal bacteria in our gut that naturally live there, most of them are very sensitive to oxygen, very sensitive to light because there is no oxygen in most of the gut. There is no UV radiation, no light. So the moment they come out of the body through defecation and they get exposed to oxygen and light, they die off. But these are commensal bacteria that have developed this unique uh, capability of when, they le- when they're leaving the body, they go into the spore structure, they cover themselves in this armor-like coating, they go out into the environment, and they can stay in the environment for a long period of time. Now, that same spore coating allows them to survive through the harsh stomach acid and the bile salts, and then they get released in the small intestines, and they go to work for us in the small intestines, basically doing a whole bunch of housekeeping functions in the gut. So that's how we honed in on these spores. We didn't try to outsmart nature. We didn't try to take a bacteria that doesn't have a probiotic function and wrap it in a, in a fancy capsule or in seaweed. And I've seen all kinds of crazy things that people are doing to try to make bacteria survive through the system. Our simple approach was what has nature given us as a probiotic? and and can we find that? And once we find it, can we study the heck out of it to figure out what it's doing in the system?
1: Interesting. And to circle back to our first point, that is the strain that you guys used in the leaky gut study. Am I correct on that?
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's actually um, a formula, uh, a few of these strains. So we, we use a formula of, of four of these strains in the leaky gut formula. It, they're all of the same genus. So um, I don't know if your audience is familiar with bacterial taxonomy, but genus and then species. So like you might be familiar with Lactobacillus acidophilus. So Lactobacillus is the genus. Acidophilus is a species within that genus. Um, like our genus is a Homo sapien and we, we are Homo sapien sapien. Um, not to get too nerdy on that stuff, but the genus that we're talking about is Bacillus. Not Lactobacillus, but Bacillus. And then there are different species within bacillus. We have subtilis, coagulans, clausi, indicus. So those are the different species. And what we figured out, and the reason why we use uh, a few of them together, is when we were looking in nature um, for the presence of these bacteria, what you realize is they never exist by themselves. right? So these particular bacillus-type species seem to be congregated together in, in what we call a consortium and and when you look at their individual functionality they each have characteristics that support one another so we wanted to do a a true nature-like consortium product and so we put them together in the proportions that we see them in either in in the natural digestive tract or in nature and and that's the formulation that we use so that's where the rationale came from again it's all about just kind of respecting what evolution and nature has already provided for us and then our job is to discover what those things are right and not try to outsmart and undo nature and so that is exactly what we used in the leaky gut study and a lot of people ask me you know how'd you come about doing leaky gut Um, and versus you know your, your typical probiotic studies when companies do studies which is rare, but when they do it, they do studies on bloating, gas, and and bowel movements, right? So frequency of bowel movements. And those things are important. Of course, none of us want to bloat, none of us want to have gas, and we all want to have frequent bowel movements, but our thinking was different. Our thinking was, if you have these really unique bacteria that have been designed by nature to enter through the body, get past all of the uh, mechanisms that are designed to kill other bacteria, and then go and be able to live in the gut, it's got to be doing something extremely special in the system, right? And so we were thinking, well, what would be the most important function of a true probiotic? And in, and in my view, the most important function of a true probiotic is to protect the host the host being us and protect us from what well protect us from the most toxic thing that happens to us every single day and this is that massive leakiness in the gut when we eat food and that's uh, the fancy term for that is metabolic endotoxemia or postprandial endotoxemia and if if you are you know someone that likes to do research if you go and do if you type in metabolic endotoxemia you'll see the amazing amount of studies. And studies are being done by huge institutes like the National Institutes of Health, NIH, or the American Diabetic Association, or the American Heart Association, or the World Health Organization. Big, big research institutes are doing massive amounts of study on metabolic and postprandial endotoxemia because it's now believed that that is the major driving force behind most chronic illnesses. And so my view was Maybe the reason that is so prevalent is because we're missing these bacteria, right? We've evolved to consume these bacteria on a regular basis because our ancestors were smart enough to eat dirt and not sterilize their environment. And they drank water out of rivers and streams where these particular bacteria are very abundant. So, the natural inclination was, um, maybe these bacteria are the missing link to why we're having such severe leaky gut and, uh, and babies are being born with allergies and you know crazy amounts of diaper rash and eczema and um, why is asthma an epidemic? Why, are, why is autism an epidemic? You know all of these issues may be due to missing certain types of microbes in the gut, and so we immediately wanted to study adding back in these microbes can they actually fix that core problem? And that's how we got to the, the idea of studying leaky gut in the first place.
1: That is super interesting. And so what did you guys find in the study? Because I know like many supplements are not actually backed by human studies whatsoever. So I'm yeah. super fascinated that you guys actually did this. And um, What did you find?
0: So it was really surprising. And, and I, I must say I was nervous about the study because I wasn't sure that we would see anything Um, because it was a tall ask what we were asking for, right? So what we did is we took um, 100 college students. As I mentioned, we screened them for for massive endotoxic response to food. That means when they they ate food, it opens up all of the barriers in the gut. Um, They don't have the protective mechanisms. And then uh, one very important toxin that is generated in our gut called lps lipopolysaccharide it's a bacterial toxin that's generated in the gut is allowed to leak through that mucus layer that intestinal membrane and and uh, make its way into the blood right and so what we can do is measure the amount of those toxin uh, the amount of that particular toxin in the blood before the meal and then we give someone a, a a meal and then after the meal three to five hours after the meal we measure again to look at the increase of that toxin that's now present inside the body. And along with looking for the toxin itself, we also look at a whole bunch, about 12 different inflammatory cytokines or markers that now show that the body's undergoing massive amounts of inflammation, uh, both systemically and in certain acute localized areas as well. So that's what we're measuring. We're measuring, you know, taking somebody, measuring the baseline of all of those inflammatory markers and the presence of that toxin in the body, inside the circulation, giving them a meal to, to eat and digest, and then three to five hours after the meal, measuring all those things again, to see how much of that stuff leaked through into their blood, and, and then how, how much inflammation their body's going through because of that. And what we, what we found is when we added the subjects into the study, in the treatment group, we saw over 60% reduction in the amount of toxin migrating through when they eat food from the from the lumen, the tube, and the intestines into the circulatory system. Over 60% reduction, and that's just in 30 days. Um, and the reason I was nervous about it is because all they were doing was taking the probiotic, you know, every day for 30 days. They didn't change any of their other lifestyle behaviors. And these are college kids. They're not doing anything good for themselves or their gut in that 30 days, right? So they're still stressed. They're still drinking. They're still eating fast food, um, you know, doing everything, lack of sleep, all of the things that college kids do. And I was not sure. I did not have, um, you know, 90% confidence that just taking a probiotic in, in, um, in view of all of those other negative behaviors could actually have a measurable impact, and yet it did. Now, here's the scary part about it, is in the placebo group, the group that was not getting the probiotic, not only did we not see, of course, a reduction in the amount of leakiness in the gut and toxin moving through, we saw a 32% increase in the amount of leakiness and toxins moving through in just that 30-day period. So, that, that condition is steadily getting worse, and in the treatment group, that, that condition st- got better by a huge margin. Um, so, that was very promising to us, um, and since then, we've done uh, you know four or five other studies um, that looked at very specific components of that study in a larger scale to verify it further, but we're also doing a second version of that same study now for 90 days, because we want to see how much worse will that leaky gut get in the untreated people and how much better we can get it in the treated people. So that was quite significant. So imagine you are a college student, you're in the prime of your life, and every time you eat food, you have almost two weeks of inflammation going on in your body. And and that 55% of college students that we screen that have that, those are the same 55% in their late 20s, early 30s, and beyond will start having um, you know, immune dysfunctions, autoimmune disease, diabetes, obesity, you know, um, anxiety, depression, and all of this stuff that we start to see um, as we start getting older. And that's because that leakiness and that significant inflammation that it lays down is the root cause of most of those chronic illnesses.
1: I love that you just brought up the anxiety and depression link because some of my early research when I first got involved in the nutrition world and health world was on the gut brain connection. And I read uh, when my third child was born, I read gut and psychology syndrome because he was my only one that was born via C-section. And he was exhibiting some problems that my other kids didn't have. He had eczema. My other kids never had that. And so I was trying to research to be able to help him and really came across all of this research that's now much more well-known about the gut brain connection and just how drastically our gut microbiome really impacts our brain on a daily basis. And I know you uh, are an expert, in this topic but can you kind of give us a primer of how important that connection is
0: yeah absolutely and in respect to uh, in respect to the gut brain connection as as it controls mood disorders um you know one of the things that's that's been well established now is that serotonin which is our happy hormone um is predominantly produced in the gut right so we always thought of serotonin because it's always been measured in the synapses in the brain Um, and for example uh, in, in depression and, anxiety, and severe anxiety, what they're looking at is how much serotonin is actually in the synapses in between the neurons in the brain. And when you have low levels of serotonin in the synapses, then it's, it's correlated to having high anxiety and depression. And so they give you something called an SSRI. So those are the antidepressants. SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And so there are these pumps that, re, uh, that pull serotonin back out of the synapses and get them back into the neuron. Those are called the reuptake pumps. And so what those drugs do is they inhibit the reuptake pumps with the idea of allowing the body to try to build more serotonin in the synapses. But as it turns out, you know that's all targeting the brain. Um, as it turns out, that 95% of the serotonin in the body is actually made in the gut. And so, if your gut is dysfunctional and not producing enough serotonin, you're always going to have issues with serotonin levels in the synapses in the brain, and and then the other happy hormone, or the hormone that serves the reward centers of the brain, uh, a, a hormone called dopamine, uh, and and low dopamine function is is um, directly uh, impacting things like addiction behavior. So. People, for example, with, you know, with opioid addictions, right? And we're seeing that. That's a massive epidemic going on right now is the opioid addiction epidemic. Um, people who are susceptible to opioid addiction or alcohol addiction or porn addiction or whatever it may be that they're addicted to, um, even things like anorexia nervosa, which is an addiction of its own, those are all people with severe dopamine dysfunction. And most of the dopamine in the body is made in the gut as well so you know our our happiness our ability to cope with stress something called the hpa axis the hypothalamic adrenal pituitary axis the control mechanisms in the hpa axis starts in the gut so when we disrupt our gut we are screwing up our ability to be happy about things we are screwing up our ability to cope with the normal stresses of life and we're screwing up our ability to get the reward sensation from doing normal things. So we seek out more extreme things to try to service that dopamine sensation. So addiction, mood, mood disorders, anxiety, depression, all of that is related to gut. And this, is, this has been um, you know, uh, quite well documented even in the case of antibiotics. For example, there are several antibiotics where their main side effect is severe anxiety or depression. So imagine taking an antibiotic, it kills off bacteria in the gut, so it screws up your gut population. And as a result, the side effect you get is not diarrhea, but you get anxiety. Campylobacter, campylobacter is a common pathogen infection in poultry, for example, in some cases in in swine and pigs as well. But campylobacter, when it infects, you don't get the same kind of diarrhea and, and vomiting and all that you get from other foodborne illnesses. The, the main effect of campylobacter infection is severe anxiety. Like just, it just random, immediate severe anxiety that, that it's come, coming out of nowhere, you know, and panic attacks and so on. So it's the, the connection between the gut and the brain is very clear. There are a couple of uh, mechanisms by which the gut and the brain are directly connected. From a physiology standpoint, uh, the, one of the most well-known ones is something called uh, the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is a uh, direct neurological connection between the gut and the brain, and all of the bacteria in our gut have direct contact with the brain through the vagus nerve. So they create hormones and neuro, uh, neuropeptides and neuroreceptors, all of those things they can create and send it up the vagus nerve directly to the brain to influence us in many ways. One of the ways that they do that is through influencing our cravings and our hunger. Um, you know and we actually saw that in our leaky gut study i 'll mention that um, uh, that that piece of data, but the vagus nerve is one of those uh, two way highways directly between the brain and the gut that circumvents everything else in the body, and that gives the microbes in our system in our gut direct access to our brain
1: wow, so you mentioned the vagus nerve, which is definitely getting more press right now. I think people are starting to finally understand that um, and I feel like we're also just now starting to really understand and the research is really supporting just how important that gut-brain connection is. And I didn't even know um, the statistics about some of those antibiotics actually leading to anxiety and depression, but it makes sense in light of everything you just explained. This episode is brought to you by... Branch Basics. They are one of my favorite companies because they are tackling two major problems with one simple solution. We've all heard about the problems with single use plastic and how they are polluting the environment, how overuse of plastics is bad for us as humans. And if you've read my blog, you're also well aware of the potential pitfalls of harsh household cleaners, especially if you have kids in the house. Branch Basics helps on both of these fronts. They have the world's safest non-toxic cleaning concentrate. It is plant-based, biodegradable, so it's safe for the environment, it's non-GMO, and it's not tested on animals. Since it's a concentrate, a single bottle lasts a really long time, which drastically cuts down on extra plastic bottles, that you would get if you bought cleaners already pre-made. It's gentle enough to be used on skin, even on babies, but strong enough to clean floors or greasy messes, even paint stains, and I use it to make an all-purpose cleaner, to treat stains in the laundry, even as a laundry soap. Their bottles are all reusable, or you can do what I do and mix everything in reusable glass bottles instead. And when I say this is good for everything, I mean it. I carry a travel size foamer pump when I travel, and I use it as a hand soap instead of using nasty soaps in bathrooms, I use it as a face wash, shampoo, eye makeup remover, stain treatment, so much more, and this one little bottle just fits in my travel carry-on. I use the same concentrate at home to make practically every cleaning product that we use in our home. You may have even seen on my Instagram recently how I used their cleaning concentrate and oxygen boost together to wash my white couches naturally. And I use Branch Basics in some form pretty much every single day. You can check it out and grab some of your own by going to branchbasics.com forward slash wellness mama. Make sure to use the code mama15 to save 15%. So again, that's Branch Basics. Dot com forward slash mama, so B R A N C H B A S I C S forward slash Mama and fifteen percent off with the code Mama fifteen. This episode is brought to you by Alatura Naturals Skincare. You guys loved the founder Andy when he came on this podcast to talk about his own healing journey after a tragic accident caused massive scarring on his face. From this experience he developed some some of the most potent and effective natural skincare options from serums and masks and a lot of products in between the re- results are super visible on his perfectly clear skin that is free of scars i personally love the mask and i use it a couple times a week and i often use their gold serum at night to nourish my skin while i sleep all of their products have super clean ingredients and they really work andy is absolutely dedicated to creating the highest quality products possible and it shows. You can check them out at naturals.com forward slash wellness mama and use the discount code wellness to get 20% off. So again, that's Alatura Naturals. So A-L-I-T-U-R-A-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com forward slash wellness mama and the discount code wellness to save 20%. And I know that another possible connection there, both with the immune system being in the gut and also even the vagus nerve, I've seen some research, is just how important our gut health is for overall immune function. And there's speculation on why this is such an important link with, for instance, autoimmunity. So I have Hashimoto's and I've seen a lot of research about that potential connection. But can you speak to the importance of the gut for immune health?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a really important point. So um, if people aren't familiar with the physiology of the immune system, um, about 80% of all of your immune tissue in your body is actually in your gut, right? So imagine your your gut, your intestines are lined with immune tissue, um, all types of immune tissue. There's something called the, the mucus-associated lymphoid tissue, the malt, or the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, the gulf, as one very important area in your ileum, which is the last part of your small intestine called the Peyer's patches. So, your, your digestive system is covered with immune tissue, and there's a lot of immune activity going on in there to upregulate or downregulate certain parts of the immune system. And since the immune tissue is in the gut, it means that the immune system is completely covered with bacteria. So imagine you are an immune, uh, you're, you're, you know, you put yourself in the, in the position of the immune tissue. Imagine you're an immune tissue and you're sitting around and you're trying to figure out what is friend, what is foe, do, do I have an invading bacteria, do I have an invading virus, is there something I need to react to, and the whole time you are covered by trillions of bacteria, right, most of which are friendly, good bacteria. So the ability of the immune system to function properly, meaning not becoming autoimmune, meaning not accidentally starting to attack its own tissue, or um, being able to defend against chronic or acute infections, so chronic infections like Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegalovirus, or acute infections like the, like the flu, like influenza, um, or a streptococcus infection in the gut, being able to identify those things and, and not attack things that it's not supposed to, that kind of tutoring actually comes from the bacteria that is in the gut. So it's something called immune tutoring. And the ability of the bacteria in the gut to kind of stimulate and teach and train the immune system on, on what the world looks like, what is friend, what is foe, um, and, and what shouldn't be attacked and what should be attacked is is something that's very, very well documented so without a um, a healthy diverse microbiome, which is the collection of organisms that live in and on us, without a healthy microbiome and a diverse microbiome, our immune system simply cannot function. I always explain to people that your immune system is like an army uh, with all of the equipment you've got soldiers and you've got tanks and you've got you know missiles and bombs and all that so you've got all the capability but you have no plans no war plans the the army's just sitting there waiting for a general to tell them what to do and the microbiome is the general so if we disrupt our microbiome if we if we're constantly negating important exposure to other bacteria we will be um, we will be traumatizing and and um, negating that Im- important tutoring and learning that our immune system has to go through. And because of that, we can now tie back virtually, you know, every immune dysfunction as simple as an allergy or a food sensitivity or eczema, psoriasis or other or autoimmune diseases like you mentioned Hashimoto's, all of those can be tied back to dysfunctions in the gut.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense and I know so we've made a really strong case for just how important gut health is to at least a few aspects of our life. And then I know a question that is coming up increasingly that I wonder is with all of these problems with the glyphosate, with overuse of antibiotics, with the lack of beneficial bacteria that we're exposed to daily, are these problems fixable based on what you're seeing in the research? Do you think we can actually move the needle and go backwards once we experience leaky gut or once we experience autoimmunity or once we experience a gut-brain issue? Is, that, is it something that we're seeing actual, the research is showing we can reverse?
0: Yeah and that to me it's that's the most exciting thing about the age that we're living in. So we're living in this like renaissance of discovery um because what we're learning now about the human body and about how it functions and the origin of disease is way more amount a v- way higher volume of information than we've learned in the 100 years previous combined. Right? So we are in a real renaissance of information and to me, the most exciting and promising thing of everything that we've learned is that most chronic illnesses are due to an ecological issue in our body. And because it's an ecological issue, we can always learn how to fix that ecology. And if we fix the ecology, as it turns out, most of those issues are either preventable or reversible. And we used to think, you know, and this is where the Human Genome Project came in. I was still at university in, in the early 2000s when the, when the Human Genome Project was the hottest thing going on in research. And that was the, the whole concept of you know mapping the entire human genome, because the idea was every disease that we knew about at that time had a gene that was associated with the disease, right? So if you had heart disease, there was one or two genes that were responsible and messed up. That, that gave you heart disease. If you had an autoimmune disease or if you had allergies or you, whatever the condition was, if you had depression, there was a gene associated with it that got messed up. The problem with that view is when your genes are messed up, when you have a mutation in your gene that leads to a disease, there's nothing really you can do about it because you can't fix your genes. But as it turns out, fortunately, we were completely wrong about that. There There are very few genes that code for diseases Um, But the microbiome and the disruption of the microbiome, the ecology in the body is what drives diseases. So imagine Parkinson's, right? And autism have a very similar start in the body. Alzheimer's and heart disease have the same disease pathology. It starts the same way. It manifests differently in different people based on other lifestyle issues and other things that are going on in their body. But those very different conditions all start the same way. Rheumatoid arthritis, so your knees getting uh, arthritic and painful, has the same starting disease pathology as gum disease, gingivitis. You know, And seven years ago, we would go, what in the world does your knee and your gum have to have in common? Like, How can that be connected? Well, they are. Both of those conditions start in the gut. And so what's really awesome about this is when we understand what the ecological problem is that is driving these conditions, we can also figure out how to fix that ecology and those conditions will go away. So conditions that we thought were incurable were lifelong things that people had to deal with like Parkinson's, you know, you'll see in the next few years there's going to be a probiotic solution to Parkinson's. You know, and the same thing, there's going to be a probiotic or some sort of uh, probiotic-like therapy for Alzheimer's that's going to be way more effective than any drug or any other thing that they've come up with. Because now we know what the ecology is that's driving that condition. And so that's the biggest promise. And that's the biggest hope out of all of this. You know, as people are sitting there and they're listening to this and they're suffering from some sort of chronic illness or they're working with their kids that are suffering from some sort of chronic illness, one of the biggest things that people end up losing and suffering with is the loss of hope in it right because they try so many things they go to all the medical establishments they see all the specialists and the doctors and and a lot of times they come back without any answers and without any hope the the best part about all of this is we're getting more hope into uh into this area of chronic illness because we're understanding now that we can probably fix most of it if we do the right things Right so and one of the fundamental things in all of that is bacterial diversity. We know that diversity in the microbiome plays a significant role in our risk for most chronic illnesses including longevity. So I was just meeting with a researcher at University of Arkansas earlier this week and he had just published a couple of studies showing that people that tend to live uh, you know, much, uh, much longer who live in the 90s, even to the early 100s, and live a healthy life, meaning they're not bedridden, covered in, uh, you know, consuming 13 different types of medications just to maintain life, um, those people tend to have very high diversity in their microbiome and maintain that diversity throughout their lives. And we see that with cardiovascular disease, heart, uh, with uh, diabetes, with allergies, with immune dysfunctions, All of these things, the diversity and complexity of your microbiome is paramount to health. And so our goal at Microbiome Labs is to figure out how to increase your diversity. We're publishing a paper this year. We just completed the trial. I just went through the final manuscript. um, And that study shows that when you add spores into your gut, it dramatically increases the diversity of your microbiome. So it's one major step towards fig- uh, figuring out how to fix the ecological problems that are driving most chronic illnesses it's
1: so so interesting and I know like from the nutrition side as well we're also um, we could all do, probably do better at consuming a wider variety of foods that then support different aspects of gut health um, and especially things like vegetables or like micronutrient rich mm-hmm. foods we kind of are a l- little bit uh, lacking in that especially in the US but I think you're Absolutely. so right on the hope side because when we're reading the research or seeing the the headlines more often of how, like you mentioned, antibiotics can destroy gut bacteria for up to two years, or we're seeing that this Vast number of children will be affected by autism in the next couple of decades, or the rise of autoimmune disease. Um, It's so wonderful to have this hope that we're going to actually see a way to start reversing these trends, hopefully in the near future. And I know something else that I've come across in researching your work and the strains that you guys have researched is that there's also basically an antioxidant effect. Am I understanding that correct?
0: yeah that is fascinating to me, that, and that, that was one of the things that really drew me to these types of species. One of them is called bacillus indicus, HE36. Um, this particular uh, species of bacteria um, can actually get into the gut and, and colonize, so it means, meaning it lives there. And what, when it colonizes, what it does is it takes in incoming carbohydrates and proteins from your diet and converts it to really important carotenoids or antioxidants. So things like alpha carotene, beta carotene, lutein, lycopene, astaxanthin, zeaxanthin, all of these really, really important antioxidants for health are being created for us by these bacteria. And and they're doing it right at the site of absorption. So the bioavailability of these carotenoids are way higher than even carotenoids you can get from foods and certainly much higher than you can get from supplements. Um, and, And that's what's so fascinating is because You know, we feed those bacteria by a good complex diet. And what you mentioned about the complexity of diet is is paramount. To me, one of the biggest driving forces behind the reduction in the diversity of our microbiomes is the severe reduction in the diversity of our food intake. You know, our ancestors, if if you look at um, anthropological studies, our ancestors consumed up to 600 different types of foods every year. You know, there were foragers and gatherers and hunters. A modern American today, a standard American, is consuming maybe 15 different types of foods. So that loss in diversity in our in our consumption of, of macronutrients um, is driving a lot of the loss in diversity in the gut. And, and that kills off these types of beneficial bacteria like this bacillus indicus because they need certain types of, of uh, carbohydrates from different plants and all that to convert it into these really important antioxidants and oxidative stress in the gut is one of the biggest drivers of inflammation and dysfunction in the gut and we think that this strain played such a critical role in in the um, in the results that we saw in the leaky gut study uh, that we think it's absolutely paramount for to see that kind of leaky gut benefit
1: wow that's really staggering and i know another area of um research with the microbiome that is particularly relevant to a lot of the people listening is that of the the microbiome transfer during the birthing process and during the early years of life. Um, a lot of moms are listening and people who are in that phase of life. And I know that's something I came across a couple of years ago was the idea um, behind the movie microbirth of that that's babies at least paramount first exposure to to different bacteria, like you mentioned a little bit earlier. And I'm curious if you in your research um, can speak to that at all of any ways that moms can especially during that phase of life, make sure that they're optimizing their gut bacteria for an effective and healthy transfer to baby.
0: Yeah, and that's so paramount because the baby's going to get most of their bacteria and therefore most of their health, wellness, or disease risk from mom passing on the, the set of microbes, right? So as we know, our set of microbes makes us more susceptible to certain things or protects us from certain things. So there is a Confirm microbiome for those that struggle with weight. There is a cons- confirmed microbiome for those uh, that struggle with immune dysfunctions like allergies and asthma and all that. So um, it becomes paramount for mom to understand that she needs to um, enhance her microbiome prior to birth um, in order to pass on the healthiest, most diverse type of microbiome. Uh, one of the things she can, she can think about doing w- with regards to that is, of course, increasing the diversity of her diet during the pregnancy phase. But, and, I, and I know that can be really hard, especially in the early uh, parts of the, of the uh, pregnancy phase because there's a lot of food aversions and smell aversions and all kinds of things that go on with the hormonal changes. And respecting all of those difficulties, when it becomes easier to eat a bigger variety of food, it becomes it's really important for mom to do that. Um, It also becomes really important for mom to limit her exposure to glyphosate. So that Roundup glyphosate acts as a very potent antibiotic. It kills off bacteria, but it does it in the worst way because glyphosate, as it turns out, or Roundup, specifically kills good bacteria and allows bad bacteria to flourish, which is the worst kind of antibiotic you can think of. All of the antibiotics just kill all the bacteria and then as the bacteria are trying to grow back the the proportions of the bacteria get a little screwed up and that's how you end up with a dysbiosis but the glyphosate of the roundup that stuff specifically kills good bacteria and allows bad bacteria to flourish especially the types of bacteria associated with things like autism and immune dysfunctions like certain types of clostridia or klebsiella and so on so how should mom avoid uh, exposure to glyphosate? Well, if if you can, if you know you're going to be pregnant, you're going to get pregnant, if you can, you should start trying to build and grow a guard, a small garden and grow some of your own produce. So if you can grow and control some of your own produce, you will minimize your intake of glyphosate um, because most of the U.S. produce is covered with that stuff, and you can't wash it off. So you can, you can soak it in as much apple cider vinegar you want. You're not going to wash off the glyphosate because the glyphosate has gone into the cellular structure of the, of the foods and remains there until you consume it. Um, so that's another thing. So one is trying to increase some of the diversity in the diet. Um, and then if you're buying foods out there, choose organic. That becomes important because that will help reduce your exposure to the glyphosate um, and then if you can, and I know doing, during this, during certain phases of pregnancy would be tough, but maybe beforehand or, um, or at some point, you know, trying to do some of your own gardening, consuming some of your own food that you produce will be paramount to, um, to passing on the right microbes, taking the right probiotic, like, like the spore-based probiotics, which can increase diversity, prevent any leaky gut that you might have, uh, reduce inflammation, help increase the growth of some of the good beneficial bacteria that can be really important for mom to pass on the right types of bacteria to the child Um, and then also just kind of uh, cleaning up your environment and when i say cleaning up i don't mean sterilizing and disinfecting i actually mean being being really conscious of the types of personal care products that you're using you know if you go and look at your your bath gels and your shampoos and your lotions you know if they have A whole bunch of chemical ingredients in them and you wouldn't feel safe eating it then you should you shouldn't feel safe putting it on your system because that stuff does get inside you and it will kill off bacteria when it does get inside you so you know there are lots of companies now making cleaner better um, more natural uh, personal care products it's it's so important what kind of impact those kind of personal care products can have on your system um, and then the last part is you don't really have to sterilize your home. You know, I clean my home for the most part with water. Um, so you just put water in a spray bottle. I might put a few drops of essential oil in it um, just, to, uh, just to give it some smell. Um, and then, you know, you spray down surfaces and wipe it down. Of course, the inside of your toilet, if you want to clean that with, a, you know, with an antimicrobial, that's fine. Uh, but your, your countertops and all that stuff does not need to be sterilized. Um, There are exceptions to that. If you bring home a raw chicken and you're cutting a raw chicken on your countertop um, and you've gotten some of the raw chicken juice or raw beef juice on your countertop, you do wanna sterilize that because that's not good bacteria that you want exposure to. But for the most part, um, you don't need to be sterilizing and disinfecting your homes. Studies show that households that use chlorine-based cleaners tend to have kids with higher incidence rates of viral infections and asthma and allergies. So we know that that lack of exposure to bacteria can have that negative impact. So those are the top, I think, five tips I would have for mom. Increasing the diversity of your diet. So going out and finding more interesting fruits and vegetables to add into your system, eating some foods and uh, fruits and um, seeds and nuts and fruits and so on, Um, going and keeping organic and going organic only as much as you can. Of growing some of your own foods to a certain degree, um, cleaning up your personal care products, and then the last thing is not having to sterilize your home all the time in um, certain conditions you want to clean up and sterilize that that particular area, but you really don 't have to sterilize your home and If I could throw in one more, um, number six would be getting a dog. Studies show that that uh, that households that have inside outside pets actually tend to have better microbial environments and less incidence rate of Uh, flus and viral infections and so on because the dogs are so wonderful they go out there they pick up all this bacteria from the dirt and they bring it into our system and into our homes um, and that gives us a better microbial environment in the homes too so that's six Um, uh, hopefully that made sense
1: Absolutely. And I definitely echo all of those points. And um, that's something I've written quite a bit about is switching out the personal care products and the cleaning products. And I think most people who are listeners now understand that often the air inside of people's homes is more contaminated than the outdoor air. Yeah. And kids are in more danger actually a lot of times in our own homes than outside. Uh, So I love that you brought all those up and related them back to gut health. I also cannot believe we've been talking for over an hour and I haven't even actually mentioned the product that you helped create yet, which was what I was so excited to talk (laughs) to you about um, because it's one I've been taking for a couple of months. For anyone listening, the link will of course be in the show notes, but you can also go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash wellness mama. And there is a discount code um, wellness mama 15, which will save you 15%. But I want to make sure we talk about this one specifically because this is the, the, product that you did the studies on. And from what I understand, there's nine more studies that are kind of in the pipeline, I believe. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, we've got, uh, we finished four, four of the studies and I think we have six more now ongoing. So a total of, of 10 altogether that are in some phase or the other. Um, and it, it's super exciting because we're doing such varied things like, um, you know, the, some of the studies we just completed were on elevated triglycerides so people with very high triglycerides or, or moderately high triglycerides. Uh, we did a study on uh, pre-diabetics to look at if we can we can help um, restore some of the, the glucose function of the body and the sensitivity. Um, we did a study on um, autoimmune syndrome, so people who tend to, to react into the environment in a more autoimmune-like fashion. Uh, we did a study on rheumatoid arthritis, um, and then we also, uh, are undergoing, uh, there's a study undergoing on gingivitis gum disease. There is a dermatology study going on at Cleveland Clinic, uh, where we're looking at changes in the skin microbiome, the lipidome in the skin, that's the fat content in the skin and the sebum content. um, And and that's from ingesting the probiotic. Um, We're doing some some really cool stuff uh, on glyphosate. We're looking to see if the probiotic can fix all the damage that the glyphosate and Roundup is doing to the gut microbiome. Um, So we've got, yes, a tremendous amount of work going on. I would say within the next eight to become the most well-studied probiotic on the market
1: That's amazing. And I know questions I'm going to get from the audience. I'm going to ask them to you now to get them out of the way. Um, Because we have a lot of people coming from autoimmune disease or food sensitivity or the autism spectrum. um, Are there any issues with, for instance, dairy or histamine or any common allergens that anyone needs to be aware of before they take this?
0: Yeah. And in fact, that's really important to note, and, and there isn't. And in fact, if you do have dairy intolerances or histamine intolerance, uh, all those issues, eventually these probiotics can actually help fix those because we shouldn't be sensitive to dairy. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't have uh, histamine intolerance. Um, all of those things are, are measured dysfunctions in the body. And, and again, most of them are related to a dysfunctional gut. And what you'll find is that once you, you fix your gut, and you increase the diversity in the gut and you restore the conditions in the gut, um, you have resilience you know and that's really how human beings evolve we We moved up to the top of the food chain and the evolutionary ladder because we are these amazing omnivores that can eat all kinds of stuff and have significant resilience to things in nature and um, And so all of the sensitivities that people nowadays have is a measured dysfunction in their system. Um, and and these, these spores will actually support you know, your body re- releasing some of those sensitivities and becoming more resilient.
1: Got it. And is I know we talked in the beginning about how with other strains, more is not better and you don't want to just throw 200 billion CFUs, yeah. but is there like a dose-dependent studied guideline that you guys have found uh, with the spore-based ones or is more okay? Uh, do you have any yeah. guidelines on dosing?
0: Absolutely. So so more can be okay in certain situations. So, you know, the product is, is as simple. We made it as simple as possible. It's just one capsule a day, right? And that delivers 3 billion CFUs, um, which is a relatively small number when you think about all the other probiotics out there. But that's the effective dose. That's a dose that's going to give you all of the benefits that we've talked about. Now, acutely, and I do this, for example, because I travel a lot and I, you know, I'm exposed to all kinds of stuff all over the world. Um, You know, I go through varying sleep cycles because I travel through lots of different time zones internationally and so on. So when I'm going through, when I'm putting my body through a lot of stress or I feel like, I ate something that was unfavorable. I'm getting the sniffles a little bit. I will bump it up to two or even three capsules taken at once um, to help kind of kick off some some deeper protection for that period of time. But usually that's just for, you know, maybe five or six days and then go back to the normal maintenance dose. So you can do that. You can you can up the dose if you're going through certain things acutely, uh if you're going through the flu or you picked up an infection or you're traveling, whatever it may be. Um, or you're going through a particularly different, difficult time in your, in your life. Um, again, upregulation of stress is the same as getting an illness. right? So stress causes all kinds of leakiness and inflammation in the body the same way an, uh, an infection can. And so if you're going through an extra stressful time in your life, you can upregulate your dose to help protect against some of the damage that the stress is doing. So it's perfectly fine. There is no m- kind of maximum dose. Um, But I would say if you're bumping it up, bump it up to two or three caps at the same time. That should be about as high as you'd ever need to go.
1: Got it. And like I said, I cannot believe we've flown through our hour and a little bit more even. (laughs) And I think we'll have to have you back one day because I wanted to really also get to delve deep on the gut and autism connection. And also we didn't even touch on vitamin Q and calcium and vitamin D. Um, There's so much I could talk to you about, but I also want to respect your time and everyone listening's time. So I will start to wrap it up there. But I want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise and all the research that you're doing. I think you guys truly are on the cutting edge of some really important research that hopefully, like we mentioned, is going to really change the course of some of these statistics we're seeing with disease. And I'm really appreciative of the work that you do.
0: Thank you so much for that, and, and thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to, to talk and and the work that you do. I mean, everything we do would be meaningless unless there were people like you to get it out there to the masses. So we're, we're always uh, very appreciative of opportunities to get on a, a platform like yours and talk about what's going on. So so um, we're very grateful for that. Thank you very much. And, and I would be delighted to come back and talk about all those other topics as well, which are all equally important.
1: You're absolutely welcome to get those on the schedule. And again, anyone listening, make sure you check out the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. The link to the specific product will be there along with the discount code, but also links to more information about all of the topics we talked about and all of these studies that are in the works. And Dr. Kieran, thank you so much for being here. This was absolutely fascinating and riveting, and I appreciate your time. And thanks to all of you for listening. I appreciate you sharing your most valuable resource, your time with both of us today. And I hope that you'll join me again next time on the Wellness Mama podcast.